Is there a more overrated front office executive in all of sports than John Elway? I mean, John Elway's career as a general manager has been a complete and utter joke. John Elway should be a laughingstock, and yet he's perceived as one of the better NFL general managers. This is why you cannot trust what sports media outlets are telling you about front office personnel or coaches. They have no idea what they're talking about. Look at John Elway's track record for draft picks. I mean, this is what's important. You have to win the draft. Either you approach the draft like the Patriots and you get two for ones in the future and then you become the iron bank for draft picks, always forcing your competitors to pay a premium to trade with you, always compiling value in the future that you can then cash in at any moment to acquire a Brandon Cooks. You either approach the draft like the Patriots or you use the draft to acquire the best available talents at the right positions in any given round. And so few teams do this well. Some teams like the Houston Texans are particularly bad at the draft, but it's hard to find a team that's worse than the Denver Broncos. Look at their drafts the last five years. It's a total talent acquisition apocalypse. That's the best way to describe the Denver Broncos draft picks the last five years. So let's rewind back to 2012. 2012, they draft Derek Wolf in the second round, who has been a starter for five years, a quality player, anchoring the defensive line. But during this time, the Denver Broncos have also been giving up more rushing yards than most people believe based on their reputation as a defense. You would think, oh, it's hard to run against the Denver Broncos. Not the case. Ask Jeremy Hill last year. One of Jeremy Hill's few productive games was against the Denver Broncos. They allowed long runs to Jeremy Hill. But the Derek Wolf pick in 2012 may be the best pick on here because they followed that up in the second round with Brock Osweiler and then in the third round, Ronnie Hillman. And then a bunch of guys I've never heard of. I take that back. They drafted Malik Jackson later that same draft, so... In 2012, the Denver Broncos drafted the anchor pieces for their interior defensive line. That was their one accomplishment, interior defensive line in 2012. Good job. Good, good, great, great job. Brock Osweiler has become the albatross player of the NFL, and Ronnie Hillman isn't even in the league. Let's move on to 2013. Sylvester Williams. A guy that's playing, he's starting games at the defensive tackle position, but that's about it. So they're drafting well at defensive tackle, but you burn a first-round pick on Sylvester Williams when you already have Derek Wolf and Malik Jackson on the roster. What are you doing? It's bad self-scouting. You did a good job getting Malik Jackson late in 2012. Why are you drafting Sylvester Williams in the first round when there are a lot of other talented players available in the first round in 2013, particularly on the defensive side of the ball? Because when they tried to go offense, they drafted Monte Ball in round two. In round two! In round two! The Denver Broncos acquired the ultimate college compiler sub-athlete, who quickly was washed out of the league because he did not have requisite athleticism. They drafted a player without requisite NFL athleticism in round two. Clearly, John Elway does not have access to playerprofiler.com! Great sleeper wide receiver in the fifth round in Tavares King. <laughs> it's just... 
Miss after miss after miss after miss. John Elway is like Tim Tebow playing baseball and football for that matter. Another former Bronco, Tim Tebow. If he's playing a professional sport with balls, Tim Tebow's missing. And that's all John Elway seems to do outside the defensive tackle position. We've established he knows how to draft defensive tackles. And that's it. We continue. 2014, Bradley Roby, who they overdrafted and already had quality cornerbacks on the roster. So again, they're drafting redundant assets in the first round who are not able to return value. And then in the second round, of course, Cody Latimer, because why not Cody Latimer? You already have Demarius Thomas. Why not just add Cody Latimer for no reason? A guy that underperformed his athleticism at the college level. The signature bust candidate of the 2014 draft, Cody Latimer. I mean, what? The one wide receiver drafted in the first two rounds that wasn't good. They could have had Allen Robinson in that draft. No, never mind. We don't want Allen Robinson. We don't want Dante Moncrief. And we don't want Martavis Bryant. We want Cody Latimer of all players. And if you are chasing an athlete that's not a college producer in that spot, you go Martavis Bryant, a better athlete than Cody Latimer. So the Cody Latimer pick was such an epic failure on so many levels because that draft was so stocked with talent. You couldn't miss. It was fishing with dynamite if you're drafting wide receiver in 2014 unless... You're John Elway. John Elway heaved the dynamite onto shore. That's what you needed to do in 2015 to fail at drafting wide receiver, and John Elway somehow found a way to do it. I mean, look at the next draft. Shane Ray, he's been a starter for eight games in two years, relatively productive for half a season, and then a bunch of guys I've never heard of, especially Jeff Hewerman in the third round. Jeff Hewerman. The prototypical below-replacement-level tight end in the league, Jeff Hewerman, was a third-round pick. That's high for a tight end. But that's John Elway. That's what he does. And then next year, who do they draft in the first round? Oh, Paxton Lynch. <laughs> first-round flameout, Paxton Lynch. In the second round, they drafted another defensive tackle because you can never have enough defensive tackles. Why not draft Adam Goetzis? who has five total tackles in his career. <laughs> they drafted a fullback in round six, and they drafted a punter in round seven. This is how John Elway is using his draft picks. Fullbacks and punters late. That's how you win the draft, right, John? Right, John? No, no. Who they drafted wide receiver this year? <laughs> Carlos Henderson. They took him before Chris Godwin. They also took Carlos Henderson before Kenny Galladay. Oh, oh, dagger, dagger. Oh. And then they went Isaiah McKenzie in round five. Right, right? Because why not Isaiah McKenzie in round five? I mean, how? How? Isaiah McKenzie was one of those wide receivers drafted before Austin Carr. You should have drafted Austin Carr because that's exactly what the Denver Broncos need, an agile target hog slot receiver. That was the piece they were missing from the wide receiver core. That was Austin Carr. But no, 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 no. Let's take Isaiah McKenzie from Georgia, one of the signature underwhelming prospect profiles in the 2017 draft. Why? John Elway. John Elway. They needed a running back. Could have drafted Aaron Jones there. No thanks. Nah. They could have drafted Trent Taylor instead of Isaiah McKenzie. That would have been an upgrade in the slot. Trent Taylor, who outproduced Carlos Henderson at the college level at Louisiana Tech. <laughs> this is John Elway being John Elway. 
but you won't hear that in any NFL broadcast. They always pan to John Elway in the skybox and genuflect as if he knows what he's doing. He doesn't even know what he's doing. And all of those across the major sports media platforms have no idea what John Elway is as an executive. They've never thought about it comprehensively. (laughs) They haven't done it. The Broncos are not alone. And what's even more mind-boggling, just mind-melting, is that the Broncos aren't even the worst draft prospect evaluators. Because at least Carlos Henderson has a dynamic, athletic profile. And he could very well be a very effective volume slot receiver. But before Henderson was drafted, before Chris Godwin, before Kenny Galladay, the Jets drafted Ardarius Stewart. Why? Because he went to Alabama. And that's it. And soon after Kenny Galladay went off the board, Dede Westbrook went off the board. The Jacksonville Jaguars acquired a gem in Dede Westbrook. There is a question that's always asked at this time of the year on Fantasy Football Podcasts. Who's rising up your board most rapidly right now? Who's falling on your board most rapidly? You'll notice I've yet to ask that question of any guest. Why? It's a cliche question. But I will answer the question now for myself. Who's rising up my board the fastest? Other than Kareem Hunt and other than Chris Hogan, we have two wide receivers. Devontae Parker, who we've talked about, we've discussed at length, Devontae Parker is the quintessential imminent breakout wide receiver in fantasy football this year. And the quintessential late round dark horse in Dynasty who could erupt this year after being drafted in the fourth round of Dynasty rookie drafts, it's Dede Westbrook. Both of those players are rising quickly. Dede Westbrook rising the most quickly in Dynasty, Devontae Parker rising the most quickly in Redraft. Dede Westbrook won the Bolitnikoff. He was the most productive college receiver, and yet he's drafted after Ardarius Stewart, Kenny Galladay, Chad Williams, and I don't understand why this happened. And the reason we were not touting Dede Westbrook more fervently three months ago is because he ended up on the Jaguars. He ended up paired with Blake Bortles while being parked behind Allen Robinson, Marquise Lee, and Allen Hearns. No near-term opportunity for D.D. Westbrook, or so we thought. But then D.D. Westbrook has had the most impressive preseason other than maybe Patrick Mahomes, because Patrick Mahomes has been lighting up the world. It has been a fireworks display in the sky. I mean, you don't need street lamps when you have Patrick Mahomes playing football at night. (laughs) And I'm tweeting out gifs of Patrick Mahomes just casually launching the ball 60 yards, perfectly placed for a touchdown. And the buzzards right back, oh, you're biased. That's that's what you rail against. It's what you criticize. The vividness bias. No, no, that's not vividness bias. Vividness bias is when a wide receiver converts a catch that many wide receivers could convert, but does it in a critical moment. That's vividness bias. Right place, right time, spectacular catch. But a spectacular catch that many other receivers could have converted. They just weren't at the right place at the right time to achieve that level of vividness. This is not what I'm talking about with Patrick Mahomes. I'm tweeting the Patrick Mahomes videos because he's throwing footballs unlike any other quarterback we've seen in the NFL except Aaron Rodgers. That's why he's executing passes that literally no one else can execute. That's not vividness bias. That's wow factor that demands your attention. That's different. 
Lots of wide receivers can go up and catch a pass at the high point in the back of the end zone and tiptoe. That's their job. A lot of wide receivers can do that. You do that in the national championship game, your draft stock rises a full round. That's vividness bias. That's not what we saw last night with Patrick Mahomes. What we saw last night with Patrick Mahomes is an NFL star in the making. Doing things when the lights come on, as the bullets are flying, two cliches back-to-back there. First time in show history, we have consecutive cliches. I know what I'm doing with these cliches. Patrick Mahomes demands that level of descriptor. When you're talking about Patrick Mahomes, they're not actually cliches. He's the type of player that demands that type of language. It's not hyperbole. It's real what we're seeing with Patrick Mahomes. If you own him in Dynasty, congratulations. Your Dynasty roster is set at quarterback. And every snap that Alex Smith takes this season is irrational because Patrick Mahomes should be under center in week one. Snap one. Play one. That's not going to happen because NFL coaches are irrationally risk-averse, but that is the optimal starting lineup for the Kansas City Chiefs. At quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. And if the Jacksonville Jaguars were truly interested in winning games, D.D. Westbrook would be on the field in week one in three receiver sets. It would be Allen Robinson at X, D.D. Westbrook as a stretch Z, and Marquise Lee in the slot. And get Allen Hearns the hell out of here. Because Allen Hearns is the Jordan Howard of wide receivers. Allen Hearns brings nothing to the table. Zero. Targets directed at Allen Hearns return the bare minimum production. How do we know that? Go to playerprofiler.com. Look at the production premium for Alan Hearns. Last year, negative 17.1, 89th percentile. That's what Alan Hearns is delivering on any given down and distance, above or below expectation. And even when you're factoring out the bad quarterback play using target premium, as we like to do with Kenny Britt, for example, or Vance McDonald, Alan Hearns' target premium, negative 12.1%, 81st in the league. This is why we've said all along, all offseason, that this is Marquise Lee's job, the number two receiver for the Jacksonville Jaguars. There's no question about this. It's not up for debate. It's definitive. Get out of here with Alan Hearns. He is a sub-replacement level NFL wide receiver. I have never understood the fascination. This is why you do not chase single season counting stats. Instead, you need to zoom out. And when you zoom out, you realize, oh, D.D. Westbrook's far superior because Alan Hearns was not a dominant college receiver. 28.8% college dominator, only 46th percentile. D.D. Westbrook's dominator, 38.2%. 10 percentage points higher, 74th percentile. He had a higher college yards per reception, 19.1%. His late breakout age was because he had a late start. He was a JUCO transfer. But he profiles very closely to John Brown, another late arrival to the NFL. He has 4-4 wheels. And he looks fast on the field. It's not just combine speed. It's not just pro day speed. It's not just workout speed. It's real on-field explosiveness. That's what you see with D.D. Westbrook. He's translating his workout measurables into measurable speed on the field. It's clear when you watch preseason that D.D. Westbrook is using those 4-4 wheels to separate, unlike other wide receivers who are not able to leverage their athleticism once they step on the football field, but D.D. Westbrook understands how to gain leverage on defenders and how to use his speed to maximize his chances of converting a reception. That's D.D. Westbrook's great skill, and he showed that at Oklahoma, and he's been showing that every time he steps on the football field at any level, college and now NFL preseason. 
So if they want to stretch the field and provide more room for Allen Robinson and Marquise Lee to operate, the Jacksonville Jaguars would start D.D. Westbrook in three receiver sets, but they're not going to do that because they are irrationally risk-averse and loyal. This is how most NFL teams operate, and it ultimately diminishes their chances of winning games. It's suboptimal, but they do it anyway because so many NFL teams are poorly run. It's illustrated by the Chiefs starting Alex Smith over Patrick Mahomes, and it's illustrated by the Jacksonville Jaguars starting Alan Hearns in three receiver sets over D.D. Westbrook. But thankfully, thankfully, the Miami Dolphins have decided, oh, we're going to go ahead and start featuring Devontae Parker. That was clear in preseason. Maybe it was Jay Cutler. Maybe Jay Cutler, because he's in full DGAF mode, he's coming out of retirement, and if you thought he didn't care what anyone thinks when he was with the Bears, Jay Cutler really doesn't care what anyone thinks now coming out of retirement to help save the Dolphins franchise. He can't. He can't save their season. They're doomed. They're the Dolphins. They're in the same division as the Patriots. So they're in a hopeless position. But at least Jay Cutler is going to make this season fun for fantasy gamers. Targeting Devontae Parker more frequently than Jarvis Landry and with more target depth. The targets directed at Devontae Parker and Kenny Stills will have more value than any target directed at Jarvis Landry. And this has always been the case. Feeding Jarvis Landry was never a rational move. But it takes a Devontae Parker-level athlete, a guy with a 46% dominator rating, 91st percentile, a 19.9 college yards per reception, and a 109.5 89th percentile height-adjusted speed score to demand that his franchise feed him, give him more target share than Jarvis Landry. It's simply rational. It's what all franchises should do when they acquire a Devontae Parker from day one, but in the case of the Miami Dolphins, it took them three years to wake up! And now the Dolphins are officially woke. And it may take two or three years before the Jacksonville Jaguars are woke to D.D. Westbrook. But in the meantime, he will remain stashed on my Dynasty League taxi squad because if the Jacksonville Jaguars get a quarterback and figure out that Alan Hearns doesn't help them win games, it's going to be wheels up for D.D. Westbrook at some point in the next couple seasons. And I know many of you will object to me calling Jordan Howard the Alan Hearns of running backs. I get it, but he is that. Because the whole thesis around Alan Hearns was counting stats. A year of counting stats after he came out of nowhere as an undrafted free agent. And that's the singular thesis for drafting Jordan Howard. One year of counting stats at the NFL level. That's it. That's all. That's all there is. Because you look at the Jordan Howard profile, what do you see? You don't see much. See a 60th percentile dominator, a lackluster yards per carry at the college level, average speed, average burst, below average agility, and strength. And 0.0.0000000 pass catching ability. If you're doing word association, not electric in space, you close your eyes, you think Jordan Howard. He's best comparable to Carlos Hyde on playerprofiler.com because that's who he is. He's Carlos Hyde. He just happened to find himself running behind one of the league's best run-blocking offensive lines last year in some fortunate game situations. That's it. That's all. That's all you need to post 1,300 yards. Find yourself in the right situation and get lucky on a couple long runs. That's it. He had 16 breakaway runs. That was third in the league 
A guy with a 4-5-7-40 cannot replicate 16 breakaway runs year after year. And the Cleveland Browns signed the Bears' best offensive guard. And we know that guard play is the key to run-blocking efficiency. So their offensive line has been degraded. Their quarterback situation has been degraded. As if that's possible, it is. I didn't think going from some combination of Jay Cutler and Matt Barkley could be a downgrade in any way. I mean, it's a riddle. How do you downgrade from Jay Cutler and Matt Barkley? Well, in Mike Glennon and Mitchell Trubisky, the Bears solved that conundrum. (laughs) And their one hope to convert third downs and matriculate the ball downfield and get Jordan Howard into the red zone was Cameron Meredith, and now he's been lost for the season. So explain to me how Jordan Howard's a first-round pick. Explain this to me. Someone explain it. Because the only explanation is... 1,400 yards, 1,400 yards, 1,400 yards, 1,400 yards. Well, 1,400 yards, well, 1,400 yards. Anything else? 1,400 yards. Well, you have more than that to support this position? 1,400 yards, 1,400 yards. 1,400, 1,4-0-0, 1-4-0-0. That's the argument. Except last year's production does not define a player's ability or future fantasy outlook. Doesn't. Can't. That's not how you win in fantasy football. Assuming that one year of production is what you can expect for a player's career, especially the player who was drafted in the fifth round, who is not a dominant college player and offers below average athleticism, 106.8, 32nd percentile Spark X score. When you size adjust it, he's average. Average size adjusted athleticism in the worst possible situation for a running back. And the Bears can't afford to have any more injuries on the offensive line because they let some of their best offensive linemen go in free agency. So now they're one or two injuries on the offensive line away from having a below average run blocking unit. What then? Players like Jordan Howard have very few outs if everything doesn't go perfectly. Everything needs to line up for Jordan Howard for him to succeed. If the offensive line gets hurt, if key members of the wide receiver core go down, if the quarterback play is bottom of the league bad. Then what? Running backs in those situations need outs. They need to be able to catch the ball out of the backfield. When game flow turns and they're down by double digits in the second half, that running back needs to be able to compile receptions out of the backfield and receiving yards and receiving touchdowns. When we talk about outs, that's what we're talking about. Is this player used in goal line situations? Is this player used out of the backfield to get A, easy touchdowns, B, easy receptions in PPR leagues, which often lead to receiving yards and receiving touchdowns that bolster their fantasy output in all formats? And Jordan Howard doesn't have the athleticism to make something out of nothing. He's not nimble. When there's backfield penetration, he's going down. He doesn't have exceptional agility or explosiveness to gain positive yards when a play breaks down or when there's simply nothing there. When there's nothing there, Jordan Howard gets nothing. He's going to get what's blocked and perhaps a long run if he gets lucky. And he's not going to catch passes in the hurry-up offense and two-minute drill. He has very few outs if the tables turn. If the external forces turn against him, he has no go-to move. You cannot draft running backs that have very few outs in the first round. You don't want to be forced to fit your first round pick through a keyhole for him to meet his ADP expectations. That's not how you win. If you're going to draft a Bears running back, you draft 
the pass catcher who's electric in space. You draft Tariq Cohen because while Didi Westbrook, because while Didi Westbrook is the fast riser among wide receivers in Dynasty, Tariq Cohen is the fast riser among Dynasty running backs because at least Tariq Cohen gives you outs. Tariq Cohen is explosive. He can break a tackle and go for 50 yards when there was no crease. He can leak out of the backfield, catch a pass, and convert a first down in a situation where Jordan Howard would rightfully be on the bench because he would be useless in that particular game situation. So when you have a team like the Bears certainly facing copious negative game script this season, the last player you target is Jordan Howard, the the between-the-tackles grinder. Instead, target the satellite back. Get Tariq Cohen. Because now we're seeing reports out of camp that Tariq Cohen will get 5 to 10 touches. That's 5 to 10 touches Jordan Howard won't get. Again, this launch trajectory for Jordan Howard continues to narrow and narrow and narrow and narrow and narrow. The probability of Jordan Howard achieving first round level fantasy production this season is narrowing and narrowing and narrowing, closing, 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 closing. There's almost no light making it through that crack. And if you're drafting Jordan Howard in the first two rounds, what do you expect is going to happen? I mean, just close your eyes. Think about how this season is going to play out and explain to me how Jordan Howard is going to return value. Play these games out in your head. Simulate the experience of being Jordan Howard this season. What do you think it's going to look like? Where are the points going to come from? Explain this to me! Because when I think about the Bears, all I can think about is they're better off playing Tariq Cohen, particularly in the second half. Let Jordan Howard absorb the the between-the-tackles punishment between the 20s. Not really between the 20s, right? Between the Bears' own 20 and the Bears' own 45 before they have to punt. And then in high-leverage situations, get the ball to Tariq Cohen and let him go make explosive plays. And that's why the Alan Hearns to D.D. Westbrook comparison is strikingly similar to the Jordan Howard-Tariq Cohen comparison. And if you must draft a between-the-tackles grinder on a bad team, why not just draft Isaiah Crowell? Because Isaiah Crowell is actually a better receiver. The Browns project to be better than the Bears this season actually experience better game script for the running back than the Bears. Yes, that's right. Even the Browns project to be in more competitive games than the Chicago Bears this season. And Jordan Howard and Isaiah Crowell are strikingly similar on playerprofiler.com. Similar college resumes, similar athletic profiles. Yet Isaiah Crowell is available a round or two later. So that's the arbitrage play. You can thank Pat Thorman from Pro Football Focus for that observation. So even if... You're a person who's drafting between the tackles grinders on bad teams. I'm not one of those people. But if you happen to be one of those people, you still should not be drafting Jordan Howard. Instead, draft Isaiah Crowell. And when I'm in a draft room, here's my ideal draft. I want my draft to go as follows. Julio Jones, T.Y. Hilton, Terrell Pryor, Ty Montgomery, Devontae Parker. That's my ideal five-round start. Once you get out of the second round and established stud wide receivers like T.Y. Hilton are no longer available, we talked to J.J. Zacharyson about this chase the upside, chase the guy you know is going to get the target share in an improving offense who has maximum upside. How do you define maximum upside at the wide receiver position? Height adjusted speed score. Height adjusted speed score. That's the best 
way to quantify upside at the wide receiver position. Terrell Pryor's height adjusted speed score, 128.3, 99th percentile. If anyone is the next Calvin Johnson in the NFL, it's Terrell Pryor. And if anyone is the next A.J. Green, it's Devontae Parker, 109.5, 89th percentile height adjusted speed score to go with the college dominance. So if you can find a wide receiver that you believe has true football skills, that's good at football, Devontae Parker, the focal point at Louisville, and he was hugely dominant. Terrell Pryor, his first year playing wide receiver full-time, he was the focal point for an NFL offense in 2016. You put those two head-adjusted speed scores on teams that will be ratcheting up the pass volume, Washington and Miami, Woo! those are the ideal upside picks at wide receiver. The two players that you know we could be looking back on next year, penciling them into the first round of fantasy drafts in 2018. And whatever you do, avoid Jordan Howard. Anyone except Jordan Howard. And if anyone can give you an argument for Jordan Howard that goes beyond counting stats, I would love to hear it. Because just listing the counting stats amounts to sports ignorance. It's the ultimate in sports ignorance, just listing the counting stats. We had to suffer through this throughout the basketball season with Russell Westbrook. The people that love Jordan Howard love Russell Westbrook. Why? Counting stats. Except with Russell Westbrook, he's at least an exceptional athlete. Jordan Howard isn't even that. But Russell Westbrook gets the least out of the most. We talk about players underperforming their athleticism at the NFL level. Well, Russell Westbrook underperforms his athleticism at the NBA level. And you know this because Russell Westbrook is a team killer. If you want to help your NBA career, you get as far away from Russell Westbrook as possible. Every player that leaves the Oklahoma Thunder gets better. Why? Because they're fleeing the Russell Westbrook soul-crushing usage vortex. That's why they all get better. That's how James Harden ascended. That's how Kevin Durant won a championship. If it were me, I wouldn't even start Russell Westbrook because he's the ideal go-to sixth man spark off the bench guy. Doesn't need to be efficient, just needs to score against the other team's second unit. You use Russell Westbrook as anything more than that, he's a detriment. Just like if the Chicago Bears were to try to use Jordan Howard in the passing game, that would be a detriment. If the Chicago Bears try to feed Jordan Howard in the second half down double digits, that's also suboptimal. And if you think Jordan Howard's going to miss expectations in week one, we actually do not because he's playing Atlanta. So I'm bracing to be wrong about Jordan Howard as soon as week one. And you can see where we have Jordan Howard ranked for week one. Playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. But if you believe that game script will force Jordan Howard to the sidelines in the second half, and it's very possible in week one, go to nohalftime.com. Or go to your app store and search No Halftime. Download the app. No Halftime allows you to set up prop bets with your friends. Or you can take the other side of existing prop bets that strangers have posted. So you can go look for a Jordan Howard prop bet and take the under on whatever anyone believes Jordan Howard is going to produce in week one. That's the beauty of No Halftime. I've always wondered, when is someone going to develop an app that just lets you pick the over or the under for a player's fantasy points in any given week, or pick one player to go up head-to-head against another player? So if you like Melvin Gordon this week, 
and your friend likes Jordan Howard, you can set up a head-to-head contest on No Halftime. And when you do, use the promo code UNDERWORLD to get a $5 bonus with your initial deposit. Now, who in fantasy football is comparing Jordan Howard to Russell Westbrook? I can't believe I just did that, but I did. 